Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service reviews and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. studied the book of, of, of Song of Solomon uh, very much until I was preparing for this series. Never really wanted to. Um, it's, it's an interesting book in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's highly debated, um, and it's very graphic in its nature. It describes a young couple going through the beginning stages of romance and dating and courtship and uh, then getting married. Uh, it describes two sexual encounters between these two Young lovers, that's in there. And uh, it describes their first marital fight after the honeymoon. But, you know, in spite of all of that, and, you know, when I say it like that, it sounds like a very interesting book. It's very poetic. And um, I'm just not a very poetic guy. I'm kind of realistic. And so this book, well, I'll give you an example. I'm just not really into love letters and, and love poems, and I probably should be more, but there's a letter... It's, it's kind of famous now. It's legendary. Um, I used to speak at a summer camp called Crossroads. And um, they found a note on the floor uh, after one of the, the sessions one night at this camp. And it was written from one middle schooler to another. And um, I want to read it to you today. I read it a year and a half ago. We did a series called Bringing Sexy Back. But um, our church has tripled in size since then. And I want everybody to be able to enjoy the profundity of this love letter and uh, just to soak uh, in all of its meaning. It was apparently written from one guy who, who wasn't able to go to summer camp, and it was written to his girl who went to camp without him. And it starts this way. Tara Victoria Beautiful Scott, I love you so freaking much, baby doll. I hope you have tons of fun on this trip you're about to go on. I know it will be fun to get away, but promise me you won't forget about me. And remember, wherever you go, you always have that peace of my heart. And you will always have my heart. You've grown to be a part of my family. And I feel as if I've grown into your family. I don't care if anyone tells us that we aren't going to last because in my mind, I have big plans for us to go all the way through life together. I know people say it won't happen. But I know we can do it, baby. I've never felt this way about anyone or anything in my entire life. And it's the best feeling. And I will never let you go. You know I'm always here for you, baby, no matter what. Besides, we're like a married couple, Tay. Haha, <laughs> I've grown so close to you in these past four months. <laughs> I know we have a lifetime together, so I know I have tons to make up to you because of my bumpy start with our relationship. But Tara, baby, I know I can make it up to you. The beach is going to be so awesome together. Waking up early in the morning, staying late out on the beach at night. It's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me, except when I ask you out for the first time. Little did I know, Tara, baby but my life changed so much. And I know now that I've met the girl I need, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I need you, baby, and you know you have me, and I'm totally committed to you and our relationship together. I can't wait to give you this promise ring. It's going to be the best feeling that I'll ever experience. <clears throat> it's going to mean so much to us, and I know we will last forever. I love you so much, Tay Ray. I never knew I could fall in love at this age, and my love grows for you every second I'm with you or away from you. Tara, baby, you're the most beautiful woman I'll ever meet or see. You are so amazing, and I'm so glad that God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you, Angel. <laughs> Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. See why I kind of hate that kind of stuff. But the book we're about to study is the antithesis of that kind of love letter. And I want to challenge all of you who are not poetic, maybe like I'm not poetic, um, to get past the poetry and to see the practical principles in this book because it's an incredible book of the Bible. Here we go, chapter 1, verse 1. Solomon's Song of Songs. Um, we know about Solomon that he was the wisest man who ever lived. And um, 
We also know that he had over 700 wives, which also qualifies him as the dumbest man who ever lived. <laughs> so, pretty interesting. And although it might be difficult to ascertain why we would want to read a book about love and faithfulness and marriage from a man who had over 700 wives, most scholars believe that this was written to his first wife before his heart turned away from God. And uh, by the way, the Bible is inspired. The authors who wrote the Bible aren't necessarily inspired in the way they lived their lives, but the things that they wrote are inspired. So this book is great, written by um, Solomon. And you know, a lot of scholars over the years have had trouble with this book because it's so explicit. And uh, they can't really explain why God would include a book like this in the Holy Bible. And so they try to find all kinds of ways around interpreting this book as an allegory. In other words, they'll say, yes, this book describes a love relationship between Solomon and this young lady who was his first wife, but it's, it's an allegory for Christ in the church. In fact, when the book mentions um, the, the young lady's breasts in chapter 7, uh, there are some commentators out there who say that her breasts represent the Old and the New Testament. That's why there are two breasts. I kid you not. And so it seems like when it comes to church, I'm just talking about the Bible. Don't be getting offended yet. We got a long way to go together. Now, so, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a real tendency in church to dance around it. But what if God is really so concerned about what concerns you? What if God is really so smart that he knows how we're wired that he included a whole book in the Bible to practically help us with our feelings and emotions and desires for love. Verse 2, this young woman is going to speak, and we're going to see um, her feelings toward him and his feelings toward her and the feelings of the friends who are um, related to these two. It's very interesting. Um, here, here we're going to start right out the gate. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Steamy stuff. And I promise not to read the whole book in sexy voice, but I just had to try that one time. <laughs> this woman wastes no time. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Tell us how you really feel. And... This book is going to go back and forth kind of in a time warp. We're, we're observing this couple right now on their wedding night, and, and then we'll flash back and see their dating days, kind of like watching an episode of Lost. As we read through their encounters together, we're going to have flashbacks and see the way things were. Today I want to talk about what attracted these two to each other. I want to speak to you about, you know, if you're single, what should attract you to a guy. If you're a guy, how to be attractive to a single girl. Take notes, dude. I'm telling you, I'm going to hook you up today. I'm going to tell you how to win a woman's heart. If you're married, what in the world makes you think that now that you've won her, you need to stop winning her? You need to stay attractive to your woman. And so I'm going to talk about all of that today. <laughs> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Alcohol and sex in the first two verses. That's enough to run most Baptists out of the church right there. This is a serious book. And what this woman is saying is, I'm attracted to you. I want you. I, I smell you. Verse 3, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. You smell good. Core value number one in getting a woman. Smell good, brother. Doesn't take much core value of getting a date, smell good. And this man was very attractive physically to this woman. But notice that's not the primary thing that attracted her to him and made her want him. For she says, although you smell good like perfume poured out, your name is like purified oil. Your name represents your character and your integrity and your walk with God. And if you want to be a truly attractive man, have a walk with God and a name that is like purified oil. And if you want to find a man who's really a man, who's worth giving your life to and pledging yourself to, find a man with a good name. 
find a man whose attraction goes way beyond his six-pack. Because one day, the six-pack will evolve into a keg. And all you'll have left is his name, his character. Now, physical attraction is important. Sometimes you'll hear these preachers say, um, you know, it doesn't matter what he looks like. Yeah, it does. You need to be attracted to him. And typically, that's the first thing that will attract you to someone. First time I saw Holly, I wasn't thinking, a better name is like purified oil. A better character exceeds that of the Pharisees. I didn't think anything like that. I thought, who is that across that room? I've got to talk to her. I've got to meet her. Look at her eyes. She has the biggest, prettiest eyes I've ever seen. And it was the first thing that attracted me to her. And for a period, it was the only thing that attracted me to her because it's the only thing that I knew about her. But then as I began to know her, and I'm going to tell way too many stories about me and my wife during this series. Um, I'm going to get myself in trouble. You're going to get tired of hearing about it. But uh, all I have to preach from is my life experience, which isn't as considerable as some of you. That's my nice way of saying that you're old. But I'm going I'm to relate back to my experience in dating Holly a lot to drop some of these principles. We'll try to share the good and the bad. She's actually going to come up on stage with me for one of the weeks of this series. But... Although your physical attraction may be the first sensation in drawing you to someone, it should not be the top priority. I love what this woman says, no wonder the maidens love you. In other words, I am lucky to have you. Girls, can I tell you something? Don't you settle just because you're single. You hold out until God brings you somebody that you'll be lucky to have. No wonder the maidens love you. No wonder they all want you. But they don't have you. I've got you. You're my catch. You're my man. I held out and I waited on the right one. And now I've got you and everybody else can just hate me for it. No wonder the maidens love you. I'm not sure if Holly feels this way about me or not. But I hope she does. I hope she feels like, you know, a lot of women would be lucky to have you. But I have you. I know I certainly feel that way about her. And, um, and I'll tell you a little story the other day I don't always do everything right in our marriage that's an understatement but um, the other day she was on this trip in Miami Florida with a lot of pastors wives um, and and our church was all doing the Daniel fast together so she was staying in these really this really nice hotel and all the women were going out to these really nice restaurants and um, she had to eat like you know pinto beans in the can and in the hotel room and it was pretty terrible so um, I decided to send her an edible arrangement. Do you know what those are? Like flowers but made of fruit. And um, Because fruit is one of the only things she could eat on the Daniel Fast. But I wanted to send, let me tell you a secret, guys. I'm about to, and I'm going to hook you up during this series. Not that I'm some sage, but it's just all in the book of the Song of Solomon. I've been studying it. Um, women like to get flowers, but they love to get flowers in front of other women. Is that true? Say amen. 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 I'm going to get some high-pitched amens this morning. (laughs) Bet you I will. And um, so I sent the edible arrangement to where all of these other women would see it and and see her get it. Why? Because I'm going to treat her in a way that makes her friends jealous. That's one of the secrets to lifelong love. Treat your wife in a way that'll make all the other women jealous that she got a stud like you. (laughs) And when you don't have all of the physical good looks, you gotta work what you got and do what you can do with what you have. So sometimes you gotta find a way to get past the physical attraction and appeal to something deeper. And I believe that all of the true marriages that last are built on something a whole lot more solid than she has nice legs. Or look at his biceps. By the way, I believe that the modern media is marketing a mindset to our young ladies. If you'll notice, for the past several um, years, in the past decade, there's been a shift. Now, it's not the new for sexy women to sell stuff on TV. But up until about five or seven years ago, there was nothing sexy about a man in his underwear on TV. That was nauseating to women. But now with this new group of of teenage girls coming up, I'm noticing on on TV shows and commercials and in movies, it's like they're marketing a mindset to this generation of young ladies 
to make you think that that guy has to look like that guy in order for him to be worthy of your attention. I'm going to tell some of you young ladies the best thing that some of you can do. Marry a dork. Marry a guy who's not so concerned about his appearance. He's more concerned with you. I know it's good to be attracted to him. Yeah, he ought to look good a little bit, but there has to be something much deeper than that. How about his name? This young lady says, Solomon, your name is like perfume poured out. It's a fragrance. In other words, your name, you know, when you, when you smell someone, when they walk into the room, I don't know if you know anybody, they have a certain smell. I know my wife's smell, and this young lady says, your smell is a smell of a good name. Your, your smell is the scent of a good reputation. You are known for your walk with God. You are known for your intimacy with Him. You are known for your relationship with the Creator, and that attracts me to you. Yeah, you look good. Yeah, you're a good kisser, but it's your name I'm really into. If you want to find love that lasts, find somebody with a good name. Find somebody with a solid reputation. Find a girl who treats the other girls who are a little bit overweight, who sit by themselves in the cafeteria with dignity and respect. Find a girl with a kind heart, and when you find one with a good name, hold on to them. Even if they don't have the perfect body, even if they don't wear mech jeans, hold on to them because it's the name that counts. After everything else fades away, the name will remain. Find someone with a good name. Now, this woman is about to reveal some insecurities about herself. We'll pick this up in verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. This is a little confusing to us culturally. I'll do my best to break it down. In our day, it's a status symbol and a sign of beauty to have a good tan. So some of you guys, I was reading that, you're going, I don't see nothing wrong with that. I like my women a little tan. But this woman actually sees her dark skin, her dark complexion as a um, compromise or a um, sort of a, an indicator of her life as a working woman. And it wasn't considered beautiful. See, the people back then were a lot smarter than us. We pay to get skin cancer, and we call that beautiful, right? They're a lot smarter than us to have fair skin, to have light. You ever see these pictures of people like 100, 200 years ago, and they're a little chubby and a little pasty, and you go, that's beautiful? Yeah, that was beautiful. Because if you uh, had light skin, it was an indication that you didn't have to work in the sun, and you were able to take care of yourself, and you were from the upper enchilada of society, and you were elite. This woman says, I'm dark, because I had to work. And obviously this woman's family didn't have a man in the house. Obviously the father of the family had died, so she's out working in the field, and she's insecure about it. Can I tell you something, guys, about most of the um, beautiful women that you'll see and that you'll meet and that you might have the opportunity to date? Deep down beneath all that beauty and all that makeup and all that stuff that matches and all the way she wears what she wears, there's an insecurity. No matter how beautiful she is, there's an insecurity. This book is so confusing in so many ways. But this is one point that it relates to all of us. And I believe that it especially relates to a lot of you women. Because there are insecurities that you carry with yourself. In this case, it was a physical appearance thing. But we're going to watch Solomon love this woman through her insecurities. Love her through her inadequacies. And even love her through her dysfunction. She says, my brothers were angry with me. We'll pick it up and read it. In verse 6, do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were very angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. In other words, I was so busy working to earn a living because I was a working class girl. I'm nothing special, Solomon. Solomon is a king. Solomon is an aristocrat. Solomon is special. Solomon doesn't have to do anything for himself. Yet this woman, all of her life, growing up in a dysfunctional family with brothers who were angry with her, whose anger burned against her, had to work in the sun, and now she's insecure about it. And is it possible that some of you young ladies will settle for the wrong man and carry into your marriage insecurities based on your past background? I'm dark, but I'm lovely. You've got to at least respect her for having a little bit of attitude about it, though. She said, I might be dark, but I'm still lovely. I want you 
ladies to get a little attitude about yourself today and through this series. Look, I might not be a size two, but I'm beautiful. I might have a little acne on my face, but I'm beautiful. I don't need Botox to be beautiful. I'm beautiful on the inside. The Bible says that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. I might not be as skinny as those girls over there, but I'm beautiful because I've got my act together. Because I'm intelligent. Because I love God. Because I'm accustomed to His ways. Because I know Him. Because I'm intimate with Him. Let's redefine beautiful. You don't have to look like the cover of that magazine to be beautiful. You're beautiful because you have value in the eyes of your creator. I'm dark, but I'm beautiful, she says. I like that confidence. Yet she's insecure. It's amazing to me how many of my greatest um, moments of intimacy with Holly and her greatest moments of intimacy with me are when we're loving each other through our insecurities. Right? And this series is going to bleed all over and we're not going to do single people one day married people the other because the same thing that attracts you to someone in the early days should be the same thing that continues to win his or her heart throughout the whole course of your life and you may not believe this about me but i am a very nervous person i uh i can trace most of the surges of confidence in my life when God did something great through this ministry to a word of affirmation that Holly spoke to me in my life. She's my cut man in the corner. And you know what? I'm her talent agent. I see it as my divine calling to pull out all of the potential that's in that woman. I make her stand up on the stage and do the announcements. Because she makes me look good when she's up on this stage doing the announcements. I want you to see what you're dealing with. When you, when you think about your pastor, when you think about the man who leads this church, I want you to know that there's a woman in my ear every time I think my sermon was horrible and every time I think that nobody's going to show up and every time I think that it's going to fall apart, she's in my ear saying, you're bad. You know you're bad. You got it. You still got it. And when she talks to me like that, Oh, all my insecurities begin to go away. In her case, when I met Holly, um, she really wasn't much for being on the stage. And, and now she's recorded albums with me that I've produced and written songs. And she's been a soloist. And, 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 she's, and sometimes you'll see her up here at Elevation singing. But when I met her, she was scared to death to be up on the stage. And I kind of took it as my personal mission in life to be her talent agent to draw stuff out of her, to get her past her insecurities. As a matter of fact, the college we went to is a little Christian school called North Greenville University, www.ngc.edu, great school. And Holly, they don't pay me to say that, I just thought it'd be nice. And, uh, and, and we, we were um, like, you know, kind of doing the freshman year thing. Cool thing about my wife is she didn't meet a man when she got to college, so she made a one-year vow not to date anybody for her first year in college. Not that there's anything evil about dating your freshman year, but she just kind of felt like inside of herself, I might not be ready for this yet, and I need to get some foundation built spiritually before I bring another human being into the equation and possibly um, sacrifice my purity on the altar of immaturity. I'm going to take a year, and I'm not dating anyone. And there was a line of guys She would never say this. I don't even think she knew this, but I did because I was one of them. There was a line of guys like with calendars on our wall counting down the days until the end of the first year. 143 days to go, 142 days to go. And I'm not trying to make this thing sound like a, you know, like a fairy tale story. The truth is I saw this woman. I was smitten by her, and I began to arrange the circumstances of life so that we could have time together to know one another in the Lord. And um, one of the things that I did... Uh, there, was this, there was this summer ministry team that I was asked to lead. And um, they let me pick all the members of the team. And I started looking through applications. And there was one application that was missing. There was this young lady named Holly who had considerable skill. And I needed her on my team. Spiritually, to reach people for Christ and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? 
And so I, I recruited her for the team, and she said, no, I'm on another team. And then that team ended up by the divine providence and sovereignty of God getting shut down. <laughs> Doesn't that sound horrible? I was so happy that that ministry team got shut down. I was like praying for something bad to happen. So she came over to my team, and uh, we spent about 70 days of that summer uh, traveling with three or four other college students, and we would go to churches, and we would, we would sing, and we would, I would preach, and Holly would do a lot of stuff with the children. And this thing that had been a physical attraction all year and somewhat an emotional attraction became a deep spiritual attraction as I began to see her character emerge. It was beautiful. To watch. In fact, I think one of the one of the best things about uh, me and Holly's relationship and the way it developed is we put ourselves in position to be attracted to all of the right things in each other. Some of y'all talk about why can't I meet a good guy? Because you go to the club to meet them. That's not where good Christian boys go to solicit dates, sweetheart. Watch this woman. This woman's so smart. Verse seven. She, she asked, tell me, you whom I love, where do you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday? In other words, I'm going to get in position to be where you are when you come by because I like you. Get in position. That's all I was doing when I asked Holly to be on the ministry team. Just getting in position for whatever the Lord wanted in our lives. <laughs> and I invited her on this ministry team. And so we saw each other in situations that were far beyond the surface level um, encounters that you see in most dating relationships. And uh, we actually had to tour around on this bus together. Actually, I think that year was a van. It was a, like a 15-passenger van. And we had to travel with each other. And we saw each other's character emerge. For example, the first um, ministry stop we made, we were supposed to minister to 75 kids that week. And we got there, and there were five kids. Five. And so we got through the week, and, and it was pretty rough because we'd been praying hard, and we really wanted to see God do awesome things. And we had fasted and prayed and prepared we prepared all these lesson plans for breakout groups and each member of the team had one person in their group and it was really embarrassing and awkward so the next church we get to we knew it was really going to start and there were going to be um 200 kids at this camp and we're going to minister to them all week long 200 kids and we get there and i walk in before the rest of the team i leave them on the van and i go in to check in with the youth pastor and i said hi i'm stephen furtick we're here with the ministry team we're so excited to be here where are the kids and when do we start he said, I got some bad news. I actually didn't have any kids show up. I said, really? So how many are there? He said, no, I'm, we don't have any kids here for the camp. And I went back to the van and I told the team, I said, guys, there's nobody at this camp. None. And they all laughed. They thought it was a joke. I said, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Get your butts out of the van. We're going to go make some flyers and we're going to pass them out. And honest to God, didn't we, Holly, for that entire week, we beat the streets, knocking on doors, handing out flyers and telling people, come to this church because we're here for a week and nobody's here and we need you to come. And by the end of the week, isn't it the truth? We might not have seen thousands saved that week, but I guarantee you we had 50 kids and we worked hard for those 50 kids. And I preached the gospel on the last night of that event and nobody responded, nobody raised their hands. But at least she saw my character. At least she saw this guy's persistent. Hey, if there's nothing to work with, he's going to make something out of nothing. Why do you think she was able to follow me in starting this church? Because she had observed my character. And when I said, we're going to start a church in Charlotte one day, it, it wasn't some sort of pipe dream. She had seen me walk into a youth group with nobody and copy as many flyers as the secretary would let us copy on the Xerox machine every morning and pass them out all over these neighborhoods that we didn't know. And I preached the gospel to those five kids and to those 50 kids, just like I preached it to thousands of you today with all of my heart. And she was able to see that. And it was attractive and you got to get yourself this woman said tell me where you lay down your sheep at midday in other words i want to see you do what you do i want to observe your character i want to see what you're really made of yeah i see your six-pack i know you think you look good in a wife beater you don't you look silly but i know you think you look good with your rims you really don't but but i want to see your character i want to know about your name i want to see you at work i want to position myself i saw sides of holly that summer that blew me away i saw her in a trailer park in the middle of the day in, in, the, in the, the crevices of South Carolina, the armpit of the state of South Carolina, 102, 103 degrees outside with 20 kids that we'd rounded up from the trailer park. And I saw her get down in the dirt with those kids and play with them and teach them songs about Jesus. And then they'd pull on her hair and they had um, 
uh, candy that we had given them, and it had stuck to their fingers, and they'd put a, uh, um, what's those little suckers, dum-dums, and they'd stick the dum-dums in her hair, and she'd take the dum-dum out with these little kids, these five and six and seven-year-old kids, and her prissy self is down there in the dirt. And I'm going to tell you, she looked sexy to me when she was all dressed up, but there was something about seeing that woman down in there in the dirt loving on those kids from the trailer park that attracted me to her and let me know, this is the one. I want a woman like that. I want a woman who's dark, but she's lovely. In other words, she works hard, and she's lovely, and what's really beautiful about her isn't what you can see on the outside but it's her inward character that radiates the life and the character of Christ. That's what you want. That's what you're looking for. That's what you want to go after. That's what you want to be. Because in order for you to attract someone of that character, you've got to become someone of that character. She says in verse 7, part B, Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? This is what the prostitutes did. They veiled themselves and they went and stood beside the shepherds at night so that if any of them were interested, they could solicit sex from these women with veils on their face. This woman said, that's not how I roll. If you want me, if you want a relationship with me, there's going to be some standards. You want a relationship with me? You want to get with this? You're going to have to step up. Because I'm not going to be like a veiled woman. I'm not going to be like a prostitute. I'm not going to give you my virginity so you can say you love me. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it the right way. When I finally did approach Holly and ask her, should we start dating at the end of the summer experience we had together? She said, that depends. What are our standards going to be? Because, you know, what she was saying, she didn't say it this way. This would be arrogant. But what she was saying with that statement is, God's got a lot invested in me. And you're not going to just tap this because you can talk smooth. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. So what are you going to do to protect and guard my heart? What are you going to commit to me to do? See, the problem that bothers me with some of you girls that let that guy put his hands all over your body, what makes you think that when he marries you one day, he'll be able to keep his hands off another woman's body who is not his wife? That's kind of what bothers me about some of you girls that are sleeping around at such a young age. What in the world are you attracting? Where did you lose your sense of value? Where, where, did, you, where did you become so passive in the things of God? Set your standard. Live by your standard. Don't compromise your standard. If a dude's going to take you away from God, then you get away from him as fast as you can. Make up your mind. There are some things I won't compromise. There are some lines I won't cross. You can't talk me into it because I've made up my mind. We're going to do this the right way. And so this woman has kind of bared her soul to this man insecurities and all. Hey, this is who I am. And this is what I struggle with. And I'm dark, but I'm lovely. And, and I, I love you and I'm, I'm for you, but here are our standards we're going to have to have. And now it's up to this man to love this woman through her insecurities. That's what a good man does. I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. We'll skip straight there. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. In other words, he's saying, hey, baby, I know you got some insecurities. I know you got some doubts. But don't worry about that, baby, because to me, you're like a horse. (laughs) It's good, right? I liken you, my darling, to a mare, but not just any mare, a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. These animals, these horses harnessed to the chariots of Pharaoh were the most important animals in the kingdom. In other words, he's saying, no, 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 you're unique. I like your dark skin. It lets me know that you had a work ethic, and while all the other girls were lounging around, you were learning the priority of hard work. You're special. You're unique. You're you're really something wonderful. And guys, if you want to win a woman's heart, make her feel special and unique. 
Make her feel like there's something so unique about her. The, the horses that were hooked up to Pharaoh's chariot were white horses. To draw attention, most of the horses that carried most chariots were black horses, but Pharaoh had white horses. And, and to be Pharaoh's horse meant you're, you're the only one who can do the job. You're special and you're elevated. When, when I met Holly, um, one of the funny things was I was starting a choir, and she was in this little scholarship singing group she had auditioned for. Can I tell them this? It's probably good to ask before we got here today, but I'm going to check right now. It just kind of came to me. Can I tell them this? She was in this scholarship. I'm still waiting on the nod. I got this. Let's ask for forgiveness instead of permission, okay? Um, and it bothered me because she had auditioned for this group, but they made her a sound woman. And there's nothing wrong with sound people. I'm not saying bad back there. But... Um, uh, but she had a beautiful singing voice, and it just bothered me that she wouldn't get to use it. So I said, hey, you can come sing in my choir. <laughs> and I made her a soloist. And I believe, I got to believe that the reason Holly was attracted to me, because if you boil it all down, it really doesn't add up. A man like this with a woman like that, it doesn't add up. But I got to believe that one of the things that attracted her to me, maybe the only thing that attracted her to me, is that I knew how to pull out her potential. That's what I do as a pastor. If you ask my staff, um, what is the, the primary thing that draws them to my leadership or that convinces them to come on staff? Or if you ask the families who moved here to start this church, what's the primary thing that drew them to do this with me? It's not my experience. It's not my wisdom. It's not my preaching. It was my ability to pull out their potential, to see the unique value in them, to see what they had inside of them that they'd never manifested outside of them. And this is the job of a good pastor, and it's the job of a good husband. You should pull the potential out of your wife. You should show her things inside of herself that she never knew existed. You should show her levels of mothering ability that she never knew that she had. Hey, women, you ought to do the same thing for us. When we do get it right, make a big deal out of it. When we do change one day diaper, don't roll your eyes about the five that you changed before. If you'll give me a standing ovation for changing one, tomorrow I might change two, and the next day I might change three. I'm just teaching you we're not that smart. When you make us feel like we're good at something, we want to do it again. <laughs> Holly tells me all the time, you're the best dad there is. No, I'm not. But I'm becoming that. Why? Because if you want to change what you see in someone, change what you say to them. No, sweetheart. You're not dark and burned by the sun. To me, you're like one of Pharaoh's horses. Smooth talker. <laughs> you're special. You're one of a kind. You stand out in a crowd. And he keeps on spitting game too. Solomon is good. Verse 10. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. Your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. He's going to hook her up. And he loves her. Verse 12. She speaks back. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover was to me a sachet of myrrh. And some of you guys are thinking, I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but I want to be one. <laughs> I sound like a pretty good job. <laughs> Y'all calm down. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are, doves. He's looking at her eyes. Dude, look at her eyes, not her boobs. <laughs> Can I talk plain to my church? How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. I don't know what that means either, but it sounds good, doesn't it? The beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. Now watch how her approach has changed. Remember, in, in chapter 1, she says, I'm dark, but I'm lovely. Don't stare at me. I've been burned by the sun. And now Solomon, like a good man does, has built her up, has pulled out the potential in her, has brought out the best in her. Find a guy like that and stay with a guy like that. C.S. Lewis said, it's good to find a man that you love. But if you have to choose, it's even better to find a man who loves you. In other words... It's more important at the end of the day, not what feeling you get about him, but what he's able to mine out of the treasure that God has invested in you. And I'm speaking to all of you. 
This might be a prerequisite for a husband for some of you, a prerequisite for a wife. For others of you, it's a purpose statement of what you need to become now in your marriage. And it's a hint of what you lost that took the fire away. And now this woman's about to respond because Solomon has built her up. He's going to buy her some earrings. He called her a horse. All the things you have to do to win a woman's heart. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he, he respond, she responds to, to his love. She reflects his love. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. See, I, before I was, don't stare at me, don't look at me. But now that you've spoken into my life, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. In other words, baby, when I saw you, I lost interest in all the other girls. They're just thorns. You're one in a million. Verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. See, I know it's real poetic, and for some of us it's like, gross, this is sickening. I'm tired of hearing about apple trees and, um, and uh, sachets on breasts and, um, and, and, and pharaohs, horses. I can't relate to all of that. But mind the principle out. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. I delight to sit in his shade. That means he's my protector, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. That means he's my provider. He's my protector. He's my shade. He's my provider. He feeds me. He's my protector and my provider. Sir, your job is to cover your woman. She ought to feel shade from your presence. You should be her safe place. You should be the one that she knows she can come to and you never raise your voice to her in anger and if you do you apologize because she is your queen and you are her shade and you are to treat her with dignity and with respect and if I could get some women to clap I'd stop right about now. Now go on and visit another church for the next few weeks if you don't want to be challenged but I want to see a church of people madly in love with each other. I want to see a group of single people with a standard that reflects the standards of Christ. Remember what she felt so insecure about? Her skin being dark by being burned by the sun. Isn't it fitting that she says, you're my shade? And what I lacked when I was growing up and what I thought about my body before I met you, now you're covering me. I want to cover my wife financially. I want to be a spiritual leader and cover her spiritually. I want to cover her emotionally. Holly said something to me the other day that was challenging and disturbing. She said, I want you to tell me that you love me more. That hurt me. And it hurt me because for the first few years in our marriage, I had made a vow that there would not be a day go by that I didn't tell my wife I loved her. And apparently, somewhere in the mix of the stress of leading a church or maybe the change of having kids, or maybe I'm just lazy and no good and started getting slack like all of us men tend to do no matter how good our intentions are. Maybe I stopped telling her every day. Started telling her every other day. And then for my wife to have to tell me, I need you to tell me that you love me more. I took her up on the challenge. And I tell her every day now, I love you. And I tell her every day she looks good. Because I don't want any other dude having to tell her for me. I'm her shade. I'm her tree. She only gets to sit under my shade. Nobody else gets her shade. Nobody else gets her security. Nobody else gives her relief. Do you hear me? I'll kill you. I'll kill you. <laughs> Let's finish this up. <laughs> Verse 4. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. He has taken me to the banquet hall. I know this is probably not the original authorial intent of the text, but take your wife out to eat. <laughs> take her to the banquet hall. Not the Taco Bell, the banquet hall. In this day, kings would set up banquet halls adjacent to the battlefields. And you would come in and you would find the banner which represented your company. In other words, this woman is saying, I know where to go because his banner over me is love and some of you are in relationships right now dating people and the banner over your relationship that everyone sees that identifies the heart of your relationship isn't love it's manipulation it's not love it's lust it's not love it's that you so need somebody to belong to because there's such a spiritual emptiness inside of you that you go running to whatever banner will wave itself over you because you so need to be identified with someone else 
And even if there's not a human waving a banner of love over you today, I want to explain to you something. God's banner over you always has been and always will be unconditional love and acceptance. His banner over you is love. His banner over you is acceptance. His banner over you is completion in Christ. And he's taken me to the banquet hall. And his banner over me is love. Verse 5. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. For I am faint with love. Raisins and apples. After 21 days of eating fruit and vegetables, that's one of the last things that I want to eat right now. But in ancient times, these were considered aphrodisiacs. This woman wants this man. And she wants to want him even more. Can I tell you married men something? Your wife wants to want you. Make her want. Make her want. Make her want you again. Become attractive to her again. And that doesn't necessarily mean hitting the gym. That might mean taking out the trash. That might mean disciplining the kids. Giving them a bath. Telling her you love her. Waving a banner over her. Being her shade. Covering her. Making a budget to show her that you care enough about the financial future of the family to get your house in order. Coming to church more than one out of every five weeks with her and leading her and taking notes and talking about the sermon with her on the way home. Cover her. Protect her. Shelter her. Provide for her. And um, make her want you. We'll close with this. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. They're in the love position. The love position. (laughs) Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. We're going to see that refrain several times in this book. You know what I think what this daughter of Jerusalem was trying to say? To all of you who are out there who are single, to all of you out there who are searching, and you may feel lonely, and you may feel insecure, don't arouse or awaken love until it desires. In other words, it's a good thing to wait because it's hard to be single and lonely, but being married and lonely is even harder. Don't settle just because you're single. I want, I want you to do a little homework this week. Every single one of you. Married, single, doesn't matter. For those of you who are single right now, I want you to develop a candidate sketch of what kind of character you're looking for. And be careful about this. This should not be some Brad Pitt meets the Jonas Brothers meets, you know, Billy Graham kind of sketch that nobody can ever accomplish. Be careful. And guys, be careful about this. Don't limit the woman that you can marry to a physical perception that you have because of something you saw in a movie or a mindset that the media has marketed to you. But that spiritual attraction, what does that look like? What are you looking for? Develop that and then commit to God. Some, some of you need to go back and, um, and impeach the current person who's in your life in your dating relationship. Some of you need to go back and say, you're not it. I was attracted to you for the wrong reasons. I'm going to hold out for God's best. Married couples, I want you to do something. And only about 50% of you will do that. And that's fine. The rest of you um, will suffer greatly for your disobedience. Before the sun goes down tonight, and I know some of you are thinking, dude, you've been married six years. What do you have to teach me? Maybe that's the point. Maybe I'm still close enough to what attracted me to her in the first place that I can remind some of you who lost it somewhere along the way. Maybe. And why don't you sit down tonight before the sun goes down and look your wife and look your husband in the eyes and just try this. Just try this. Just tell them one thing about them that attracted you to them and still attracts you to them. Tell them they look like a horse. See where that gets you. (laughs) Try it out. Try it out. Try it at home. Father, I pray today for all of us who are at different stages and places in our relationship, some of us are incredible, incredibly lonely because it seems like everyone's in love but us. As we study this book together, as we talk about the dating phase and sex and intimacy and conflict in marriage and lifelong love over the next weeks, 
God, would you speak to each and every one of us? Would you speak to those of us who are lonely? Would you speak to those of us with great marriages? Would you speak to those of us whose marriages have fallen apart? Would you speak to those of us who are recovering from failed marriages? So that we can know that your banner over us is love. God, I pray today that this word has been encouraging. And I thank you for what you're going to do. We love you and we bless you and we honor you. For your love is the greatest love. And there is no greater love than this. That one would lay down his life for his friend. May our love for others flow out of our love for Jesus. We pray in his name today. Amen. Let's clap our hands for the word today. Hey, I want to show you something. I don't know if any of you saw this, but uh, we're very happy. Um, We were actually, for the second time in one year, uh, featured on the front page of the Charlotte Observer this morning. That's great. The headline says, um, a cool pastor in a hot church. Uh, I feel like they got half of it right. Um, I am hopelessly uncool. Um, Don't ever let me fool you. I'm a dork. Uh, I'm not a rock star. Uh, I love Christ. I'm a blundering idiot who God has chosen to use. And I thank him for his favor on this church. But I'll agree with with this. This is a hot church. This is a church where, where, where over 900 people gave their lives to Christ over the last three weeks during the gospel series. It's incredible. If you would... Um, at all of our campuses today, if you'd go pick up a copy of The Observer, I think that would make a great statement. I think it would just say uh, thank you, because it's mostly positive, the article is. And I was really worried about that, because you never know. They've been writing this story for months, and I think they did a pretty good job. Um, other than the fact that they called me cool, they really need to check their facts. But other than that, it's a great article. It talks about a lot of what's going on here. So pick that up, and also go on to The Observer website, charlotte.com, and leave a comment. And tell them how Elevation has blessed your life. Let's let them know that we appreciate it. And I'm reminded of Jesus' words that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And uh, God has given us more exposure and we thank him for what we're doing. And um, can't wait to see what he does in the next weeks of this series. It's only going to get mo and mo better. So bring friends and come back. Um, Finally, tonight, I can't wait to see many of you back. We're hoping that hundreds of you will come out for this event, which we're calling the catchiest name ever in the um, history of Elevation Church events. It's called the Meet Pastor Stephen, join a community group, sign up for a volunteer team, and otherwise get involved in a church you really want to be a part of but don't know how to event. It's the name of the event. And uh, all of those things will be available to you. I can't wait to meet some of you. Um, if you're single, be here at 5. If you're married, be here at 6.30. Child care is provided. They're feeding barbecue. It's going to be a great night, so please be here for that. And look, you may not know yet whether or not you want to join a community group or a volunteer team. This is just a great time for you to get exposed. So please be back here tonight. We look forward to seeing all of you. Um, Let's prepare to take our offering today. Clap our hands and thank God for the opportunity to give. And if you'll go ahead and uh, stand on your feet, I'll pray for us and we'll sing another song of worship and we'll be dismissed. By the way, I want to thank my friends J.D. Greer and Craig Rochelle um, for their significant uh, input into my sermons on the Song of Solomon. It's a confusing book, so I consulted a few of my pastor friends, and they helped me a lot, so thank you guys. And also to Tommy Nelson, who's kind of the Yoda of Song of Solomon. He's written all these books, and he's helped me understand how to preach these verses without uh, making a mockery of myself. And so thank you guys. I appreciate you so much. Father, we're grateful today for your presence among us, for your love for us, for the way you keep blessing and advancing Elevation Church. God, I pray today that we would Um, leave here very confident that your banner over us is love and over these next weeks we want to see you become the fulfillment to all of our needs you are our contentment and our satisfaction and we give you praise jesus it's in your name that we pray amen let's clap our hands as we prepare to give today